0: Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weineger. We are reading Romans 1 to 6 now. Okay, so who wrote this epistle? Um, the epistle to the Romans was written by Paul, the apostle, with the assistance of a scribe. Um, and his name is Tertius, Tertius. I don't know how you would say that. Romans 16 22 is where we find out that he was his scribe. And it is believed that he wrote this epistle or this letter between fifty-eight and or fifty-seven to fifty-eight AD from the city of Corinth during his third missionary journey. Okay. And we figured out that he wrote this to the Romans, but he'd actually never met any of them in person. However, the other epistles, this is what dad was learning, the other epistles were written to specific people that he had actually met. So this is written to no one in specific, but a people like as in a community, right, or a city so who were the romans who was paul writing to paul wrote to the saints in rome while it is not known how the church began in rome many scholars believe the first roman converts were in jerusalem around the day of pentecost acts chapter 2 5 to 10. following their baptism they returned to rome and built up the church rome at the time was the center of the civilized world paul was writing to members of the church in rome whom he had not yet met but whom he loved. Okay. Here we go. Oh, and this is broken out. This is just one letter. But it is actually broken down into 16 chapters, which Faust and I figured out yesterday. Okay, so here we go. (laughs) Okay, Romans 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God, which with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So he was preaching about who he was and then. And who Jesus Christ was, and that Jesus was mortal, and that he was a God. And then verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom we are... Wait. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Okay. So, the principle in this um, section... It's just that there's no calling or member of the church that is small or of little consequence. So, he's lovingly greeting the saints in Rome. And though he has not yet met them in person, he begins his letter by stating his calling as an apostle of the Lord, Jesus Christ. And then teaches the dual nature of Jesus Christ. And... In verse 6, he shows that he does not feel that his calling elevates him above anyone else when he says, you're also called of Jesus Christ, right? And I think that's so true. Sometimes we forget what our calling is, even if we haven't gotten an official calling or set apart. or like, we can only do this if we have that calling. But that's not true. Okay, President Hinckley similarly taught, quote, this church does not belong to its president. Its head is the Lord Jesus Christ whose name each of us has taken upon ourselves. We are all in this great endeavor together. We are here to assist our Father in his work and his glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Your obligation is as serious in your sphere of responsibility as is my obligation in my sphere. No calling in this church is small or of little consequence, end quote. President Gordon B. Hinckley, April 1995 General Conference. Okay, which I love. Okay, I love that he kind of pulls us and lets us reminds us what we have been called to do too. Okay, verse seven: To all that be in Rome, beloved of God. So he's saying everyone's loved, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ two distinct beings. He's listing them separately. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making requests, if by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift that some spiritual gift to the end, ye may be established. So that says that just proves right there that he has not yet been to Rome or that he has not seen them. Okay, so it's possible that he wrote this prior to his arriving in Rome or that he's in his house arrest. Right. That that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not, wait, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I pr- purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. So he tried to come over, Right. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So that's because they accepted his message. Verse 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written they just shall live by faith for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all good godliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness So all ungodliness means large and small sins. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay, so a couple other principles that we're taught here. Okay. Uh, principle found in verse 7 is that we can help others know that they are dearly loved by God. And I thought that that is definitely something that is a commandment to love our neighbor as ourself, right? Okay, and then in Romans 8 to 14, the principles taught here are principles of leadership um, that we can pray for our leaders as they pray for us. So in verse 1 to 5, he makes it clear his position and responsibility. Then verse 6, he states their important position. Then 7, he helps them understand God's love for them. 8, he praises their faith. 9, he prays for them always. 10, he asks for them to pray for him. And... 11 to 12, he expresses that they can both be blessed by each other's faith, which is so true. I think that's why, you know, we gather to be strengthened of each other's faith. Um, And there's a JST that was not included in the footnotes. Not all of Joseph Smith's translation is included in the footnotes. Only a third of the verses that Joseph Smith translated are included in in our scriptures. This is the JST making request of you to remember me in your prayers. I now write unto you that you will ask him in faith that if by any means at length, I may serve you with my labors and may have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you End quote. Oh, that's awesome. Cause we can definitely pray for our prophets and apostles, right? Okay, and then in Romans 15 to 17, the principle is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's plan to save his children. And we do not ever need to be ashamed of this message. These verses contain the theme of Paul's letter to the Romans and to his life as an apostle and servant of God. He is not ashamed of God's plan of salvation, for that is what the gospel is. The gospel is... Our Heavenly Father's plan of happiness, the central doctrine of the gospel, is the atonement of Jesus Christ. In its fullness, the gospel includes all the doctrines, principles, laws, ordinances, and covenants necessary for us to be exalted in the celestial kingdom. And that is found in true to the faith under the word gospel. And I think that's so important to remember that. um, That we don't need to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it reminds me of the scriptures in the book of mormon how it talks about how the people who were coming unto the tree and they get, got the tree then they looked at the, at the people in the in the big and spacious building and they were mocking them and then the people that were partaking of the tree became ashamed and then fell away and that is not what we want we don't want our testimony to be so weak that someone else looking at us or mocking us or bringing something to our attention or whatever would make us fall away, would make us leave Jesus Christ. And I love that Finn was able to go to FSY this past, this last week, and that it was such a great experience for him. And he came back and said that his favorite day was the most spiritual day, which was the day that he had to be dressed up which was kind of funny because he said that that's the only thing he didn't like about it, that he had to be dressed up, but it, that he loved it because it was his most spiritual day. Um, and then Finn says, he says that he is never going to leave the church at, because he's not stupid. <laughs> and so dad made him, reco- made him say it again, and I recorded it so that we can play it back to him later. Because I think... I think it's okay for us to realize that no matter what our choices are, Jesus Christ is always going to love us, whether we choose to stay close to him or not. And it's, it's not the gospel necessarily that I want. Um, like, like, I want to make sure that our children know that it's Jesus Christ that we stay close to, um, that the gospel is a means for us to do that. It's it's our ticket to do that. It's it's our vehicle to help us um, stay close to Jesus Christ. The gospel helps us do that. Um, but it's like being active in the church versus being active. In it it was that talk by Elder Bednar, I think, um, because there was a difference between being active in the church and being active in Jesus Christ and being active in your testimony. Like, if you're going to church, here's the thing. If you're just going to church for the motions and you're just going to church, like, that's okay for a certain amount of time. That can sustain you. But it's your relationship with Jesus Christ that's going to get you through the hard things in life. It's not going to be your... Your attendance at church necessarily. And so, if you're going to church, great. But let's make sure that we have the like, that we are grounded in the testimony of Christ when we are going, that we can serve and that we can help as we go, and that we're um, strengthening others, that we're strengthening ourselves first, and always keeping that relationship um, number one with our, with our savior, because that's the most important thing. Um, cause if you're just going to church, you're just doing the motions. You're not actually having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and it's so important for us to have that, that relationship. So if you're just going cause, cause your friend's going, then that's good for now. Or if you're just going cause your mom wants you to go, That's good for now, but let's work on establishing that relationship with Jesus Christ so that eventually nobody being around, with no one being around, nobody making you go, you don't even know anybody at church, but you desire to go because you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, and you wouldn't want to miss out on feeling the Spirit. That is where we want you to be where it doesn't matter who's there and it doesn't matter who wants you to go or not but that you want to go because you value that relationship. Okay. Um, then the no- another principle is uh, in, found in verse 18. It says, we, sh- we can seek to overcome all ungodliness in ourselves. So ungodliness is any behavior, belief, attitude, or action that is ungodly. So, I mean, you can just imagine all the things that we do, right? That maybe are not godly things. The natural man is full of ungodliness and saints are seeking to overcome these things, right? It's, it's a lifelong process. Don't think that that's going to come overnight. This is a part of the experience of mortality and proving that we can overcome all things. Okay, eventually we will be able to overcome everything. So... Elder Neal A. Maxwell says, Moroni declared the need for us to deny ourselves of all ungodliness. Found in Moroni 1032. Thus including both large and small sins. While boulders surely block our way, loose gravel slows discipleship too. Even a small stone can become a stumbling block. Even so, in today's world, individual appetites far from being denied are actually celebrated. As one writer noted, the, this mantra has its own incessant beat, and it goes, me, 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 end quote. And that's from Elder Neal A. Maxwell, May 1995 Journal Conference. Ooh, that sounds like a really great talk. I'm going to have to go listen to that. But it's so true. Um, in fact, I'm walking right now, and I have this sharp thing in my foot, and I don't want to go get it, but it's bugging. Right. It's like those things, all things that are ungodly, they can be a stumbling block, big stone or a tiny stone. Okay, so just be sure that you stop and take take time to take that tiny stone out. Okay, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts was darkened professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorrupt or uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So man-made things, man-made images and gods. That's what this is talking about. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness, or just kidding. Also, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So, without the truth of who we are, our sin grows. It's like the crush framework, okay? Remember, if we stay connected to Christ, we will remember who we are. C and R connect to Christ. Remember who we are. And once we do those things, then we can uncover who we are and uncover all of our gifts and talents and skills and weapons so that we can uh, practice those and then use them and we heed them, right? So we can sharpen our sword by practicing um, those things we've uncovered and learned about ourselves. Um, and then we can heed the Lord's promptings and go serve and do those things that he needs us to do. Um, and that's how we fight the adversary. That's how we fight the adversary with with ourselves, right? That's how we fight off the adversary's torture in our lives. Um, and then 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever? Amen. So... This is a great definition for idolatry. Anything that keeps us from God is idolatry. So you might be thinking, well, I don't have any idols. I didn't build anything specific. But what are those things that keep us from our relationship with Christ? You know, when you wake up, when you first wake up in the morning, what do you go to immediately? Do you pray? I don't pray always when I wake up. There's times when I even wake up and I'm checking my texts. Now all of a sudden... Who's, who, who's my God then, right? So there's um, principle, knowing who God is gives us eternal perspective and helps us make righteous choices. Not knowing who he is leads society to many sins, okay? So in verse 19, those are, who are ungodly are left without excuse, Because the truth of God is manifest in their very beings, for they are made in his image. And then verse 20, the workings of God may be invisible, but we are surrounded by evidence of him, right? Everything typifies of Christ. I always say that. Everything. And um, those who have eyes to see can see his hand and his power in all things around us. I remember um, President Eyring has a gratitude journal that he has right by his bed, I think, or maybe, yeah, anyway, he, and he gave a talk about it, and he writes three things he's grateful for every day, and that that has changed his life, and I think that would be great for us to start, you know, little gratitude journal by our bed, what are three things that we can be grateful for, or maybe we do this at dinner, we have little gratitude journals, and at dinner, we can write down those things that we are grateful for, and then help talk about them, right, and that helps us feel gratitude for the lord's blessings that he's given to us um because he's given us so much evidence that those who deny him can never say that they could not know of him because then we are left without excuse once we have noticed his hand in our lives we are left without excuse okay then um 21 to 23 man once knew this truth but they embraced sin and created their own gods okay All the saints who lived in Rome at the time were surrounded by what Paul spoke of in verse 23. He was speaking directly to them and what they face every day. So Rome had come up with their own gods and made them into animals and idols. And now they loved and worshipped things instead of their father in heaven. So I like it would be so hard to live like I was talking to dad and I, I was thinking like, back then it would have been so hard to introduce, so like if you worshipped a lot of gods and idols I think it would have been hard to introduce a god that was not an idol, right? And try and convince the saints to not uh, worship idols but to worship Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, whom they couldn't see, right? Um, Now to me, it seems normal to believe in Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father whom I don't see because I've never seen them and I've never worshipped, like, I've never uh, established patterns or rituals or, uh, what is it called, or traditions of worshipping other things, right? And, but if you had set up those things in your life, it would be hard, I think, to try and switch that I mean it's not impossible obviously but it would be really hard to try and switch that to a belief in Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father because you can't see them right and so I get it like it would be hard but it is not impossible obviously and you can see Paul really trying to talk to them here and then um verse 24 to 25. What happens when people lose their knowledge of who God is? What happens when they change the truth of God into a lie? And what lie? What does Satan not want us to know about God? How will not knowing the truth about God then impact our view of who we are? What anchor do we lose if we don't know these truths? And then what is the harm of sin to us? right okay and then we have verse 26 for this cause god gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burn in their lust one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat So the reward of sin is just more sin, right? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So this was homosexual behaviors. Okay, so this is what he's talking about here. And the phrase God gave them up unto sin or uncleanliness refers to God allowing them agency doesn't mean that that God was, like, okay with it. It just means that we are all given agency, which they use to choose sexual sins. Now, I talked to you guys about um, when you have desires to sin, that is different than when you're acting on those desires to sin, okay? So everyone is going to be tempted, and that's not a sin to be tempted. And there's a talk about this. Maybe you guys can look it up. I can't remember where it is. Um, it's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to give in to those temptations and act on those temptations. Okay. So there can be people who are wanting drugs or alcohol, or they want to, um, or they're attracted to the same sex, but it is not until you act on those temptations or you act on those desires or you act on those feelings that you are actually sinning. But that is the whole thing about life. Our whole trial of life like, is us working on trying to overcome our natural self, our natural woman, our natural man, because it is hard to give up those things that our body wants, or our ideas, you know, sometimes it's sad to give up on ideas. I mean, as an entrepreneur who loves ideas and ideation of businesses and products and all these things, I have to give up on some of those ideas because I literally couldn't do all of them, first of all. But then also, if I tried to do all of them, they would take me away from the things that really matter to me, and that's my family. So I have to choose carefully which ones I want to do. So... Just like that, we have to choose carefully those things that are going to bring us closer to God or take us away and act on those promptings that the Lord gives us to do that brings us closer to him. But if we're not connected with Christ and if we're not remembering who we are, then who are we going to remember? If we forget who we are and you forget where we come from, we are now left to our natural man. We don't, we're not receiving strength from God because we forgot to do that. And if you forget to water a plant, it's going to die. You know, that's like, that's just like science. Um, so it's the same thing. Okay. And then 29 to 32, being filled with an with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, impl- impl- what is this? Implacable, impl- implacable, unmerciful. Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure to do them, that do them. So that is our state when we forget to connect with Christ, when we forget to, when we don't have that desire to establish a relationship with God, when we forget who we are. We are going to be left to Satan's devices. And this is what he blesses. This is what Satan will bless you with, right? I'm using this in quotes. You will be the recipient of all these things that I just read. The result of forgetting God is not worth it, you know? Um, But... If you continue in that path, you'll just continue to go down a worser path, a more worse path. But if you decide any moment in time that you want to have that relationship with Christ, he immediately reaches out to us and will save us from ourselves and from Satan and from um, these consequences of our actions. Okay, He will—well, I guess he can't really— Save us from the consequences. There will still be consequences to our actions, but He will save us from continuing down that same path and He will bring us back to Him. And hopefully, the consequences of our actions won't be too severe, but He can still heal us from those consequences as well. He can help us find healing. Um, And you're going to end up with finding pleasure in others committing the same sins. And you're, you're just going to be in this cycle of like just going downhill is basically what that is. You know, we always make fun of people with their birthdays over the hill. Yeah, well, you're going to go downhill if you forget God. So always remember him. Always remember who you are. Always strengthen that relationship because although it's hard because he's not here and you can't see him, he is right next to us helping us on our journey back to him. But Satan will have us know that we are alone. But if you continue, and if you find some really good friends who have that same testimony, that have that burning desire to be with Jesus Christ, that want to choose the right, then you can go back home and have friends that will help you there on that path and that i think is also so important to choose a good spouse right because when we're weak our spouse can help us strengthen us and remind us who we are too and if if they're weak we that can be our job and together as a family we bring we lift each other up and we bring ourselves back home okay we're romans chapter 2 therefore thou art inexcusable oh man whosoever thou art that judgest for wherein thou judgest another thou condemnest thyself for thou that judgest doest the same things wow uh if that doesn't put you in your place i don't know what does <laughs> i don't know what can um the principle here is do not self-righteously judge others right um and then he continues to do to talk about judgment and so in verse two he says but we are sure that the judgment of god is according to the truth against them which commits such things so um he's basically trying to tell us not to judge because it's god's it's god's to judge like it's god's job to judge to do the judging and thinkest thou this O man that judges them which do such things and do us the same that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. So the Gentiles sin, but so do they, right? The Jewish Christians, they sin and, and everybody sins. And so this can totally apply to us, not just the Romans or despisest thou. Okay. So verse four or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So they're not embracing the atonement of Jesus Christ, right? Sometimes we think that the atonement is reserved for like severe, super bad sins. But the atonement can also, the atonement of Jesus Christ can also help us to stop judging, to... to First of all, to be content with who we are, and when we connect with Christ and remember who we are, we actually don't judge as much. And in fact, um, I think judgment is different than condemnation, So, but I still think that judgment is bad because if you judge others, you're basically like, depending on how you're judging them, you're putting yourself on a pedestal or you're putting yourself down because of somebody else. So you're just comparing. And remember what Hank Smith said? He said, comparison is the thief of joy. And even um, even Sister Joy D. Jones said the same thing. She quoted that same quote um, during general conference. So, you know, when we're judging others, we're, we're not making like a judgment call of like, hey, do I need to do this for somebody else? Do I need to serve someone? You know, whatever. What we're doing is we're judging them based on who we are and then saying like that we're better than them or or saying that they're better than us and either way it's a bad it's bad right satan pits us against each other all the time but to avoid doing that we can use the atonement of jesus christ to help us um and and by using his atonement, it allows us to release ourselves from that burden of judging back and forth. Like, just be happy that somebody went on vacation. It's okay. And then be happy that you went on vacation and and hope that somebody else will be able to go. And don't try and say that you're better than them or try to act like you're better than them because you're not. Okay, so... Remember that we are all children of God, and we are all blessed, and we have different experiences, different circumstances, different talents, different things that um, bring us closer to him, but then also different things and experiences that are going to be trials in our lives, and so when we're comparing ourselves, we're probably comparing our worst self to somebody else's best self, which is, you know, not you don't want to do that. But then also like, I guess here people would, would judge others because they weren't doing certain things. Um, the way that they had been raised to do it and and that's okay. You know, um, just worry about yourself. It's what, like, I have to tell the boys, worry about yourself. Don't worry about your brother. Okay. Um, especially if you, one of you is 14 and the other one's nine. Okay, so then number five, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up thou treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So they are treasuring up God's wrath, like what, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So the Jewish, the Jews will be rewarded according to their deeds. And we're all going to be rewarded according to our deeds. And if we're judging people, then that's how we're going to be judged. Number seven, to them who be patient continuance in well doing seek for glory and honor and immortal life or and immortality and eternal life. So um, this is how to actually receive eternal life is to be patient continually in well-doing and seek for the glory and honor of immortality and eternal life like that is how we are going to receive that and verse 8 but unto them that are content contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the jew first and also of the gentile because the gospel applies to everybody But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also the Gentile, because gospel blessings also apply to everybody, for for there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. So hearing the law is just not enough. Like once you hear it, you, you know, you're required to now do the, now obey, right? Um, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having no not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel okay so from what I'm understanding you know that God it doesn't matter to God if like who you are you're always going to be a child of God um, and you're gonna be judged based on um based on the laws, and others will be judged based on those laws and um it's basically like everybody has their own faith journey right and and we have been given laws, but then we're also going through different experiences, and so we're going to be judged according to um all of that, I think. Jesus Christ is going to be so merciful with us and because he has suffered what we suffer, he knows us and he's not going to like anything that we haven't done or that we wish we could do or that we have done wrong or... Anything, it's going to be made up by the atonement of Jesus Christ. But if you don't know Him, if you don't take time to get to know Him, to have a relationship with Him, how how are you going to feel when He's when He's trying to do that for you, when He is trying to take that from you, and and help you? How are you going to be able to accept that, or how are you going to um, react because of it. Are you going to be so grateful? Are you going to be ing- un you know, ungrateful? What's that word? Show no gratitude? Are you going to be appreciating um, his sacrifice? Or are you just going to ignore everything that he's done for you and say that you can continue to do it yourself? Well, we're not going to be able to get into heaven by ourselves. Like, there's no way. And so we need Jesus Christ no matter what. Okay. So, um, instead of being, so, oh, hold on, uh, president Dieter F. Uchtdorf, he said that the apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans said that those who pass judgment on others are inexcusable. The moment we judge someone else, he explained, we condemn ourselves for none is without sin, end quote. And that's in April general conference, uh, 2012. Again, president Dieter F. Uchtdorf, like, it's so true just just don't don't be judgy because <laughs> that is how we're going to be judged um Paul knew that there were sins within the church, namely the Jewish Christians who considered themselves holy and above the gentiles uh Paul warns against the self righteous members of condemning those. Um, who committed the sin described in the previous chapter, especially since they also sin. So in verse three, he asks, do you really think you will escape judgment? In verse four, he reminds them that their attitude is making them despise the goodness, forbearance and long suffering of Jesus Christ and that they, they are not being led to repentance. So instead of being led to repentance in verse five, they're actually treasuring up God's wrath at the day of wrath. So the second coming when they will be rendered or given according to their deeds when God excuses his righteous judgment. So you're, you're basically trying to bring the second coming even faster to you. You're not even trying to do it to them. You're just bringing that judgment. You're, you're condemning yourself by doing that. Um, and if they want eternal life, the way to achieve it is in verse seven. They should perse- persevere in doing good. Whew. In contrast, if they are contentious, contentious, reject truth and embrace sin, there will be wrath. So um, this applies to both the member and the Gentiles because God applies truth to all. There is no respect of persons with God. So he's not partial with any one group, race or anything or anyone. Um, And then Paul makes it very clear to the Jews that hearing the law is not enough. They must be doers of the law. He came down here and was limping earlier. I don't know what happened, Shu um and okay so then president howard w hunter in october 1967 general conference he says in other words it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous but the doers of the law paul's remarks are aimed at those who live under the guise of the mistaken notion that an honorary membership in an inherited religious tradition will constitute them believers entitled to blessings they pay only lip service but are not doers of the law All nature, which is God's domain, seems to portray this same principle. The bee that will not doeth will soon be driven from the hive. As I watch the busy ants on the trail and around the ant pile, I am impressed by the fact that they are doers and not just believers. Clucking doesn't produce any seeds for the hen. She must scratch. A stagnant pool, green with algae, and the scum of inactivity is the breeding place of the diseases of the swamp. But the clear mountain stream dashing over the rocks as it winds its way down the canyon is an invitation to drink. Ooh, end quote. That is so good. I like that analogy. Like the stagnant water is just going to breed disease. But the clear mountain stream is just like gorgeous and clear and pure. And it makes you want to stay there, you know. Um, okay, we're going to pause right there. We're on verse 16. Ah, uh, Today, Jakey comes home. It's crazy that it's been two years, you guys, right? Anyways, we're so excited for Jake to come home today. We're going to go meet him at the airport. So we are going crazy, trying to get everything done before then. Okay, um, we are on X. Just kidding. Romans chapter two, (laughs) we're all thrown off. And I have a meeting in super soon, too soon for me to explain when. And because I feel really bad that this is what it's going to be. Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. So they know the law, and they're trying to boast because of it. And sometimes those rule Nazis like to boast about rules. Am I right? You know who you're talking, you know who I'm talking to. Anyway, (laughs) um, Verse 19, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law in the law. Thou therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal. Dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. Snap. Wow. So their attitude was turning the Gentiles away from the Lord. Sometimes that happens. Like, the attitude that we have, like, are we being Christ-like when we're teaching the gospel? Are we being patient, merciful, loving towards others when we're trying to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people? I know that I am not very good at doing that myself, Um Because I'm a parent, and I know that I have, you know, made mistakes, and in the way that I teach might definitely be this talking to that I need, Um. but our daily life, so this is the principle for this one, our daily life should testify of the Lord Jesus Christ, not turn people away from him, okay, because... That's how we bring people to Christ, right? Through our daily worship and through our service, through our love. Okay, here's a quote by Bishop H. David Burton. He says, live in such a way that people who know you but don't know Christ will want to know Christ because they know you, end quote. And now he quoted a different author, which is unknown, but Anyways, that was in the General Conference, 1994. Um, I need to read that conference talk. And there was another talk from President Howard W. Hunter that I needed to read. So let's make sure we read those today. Okay, um, and then there's another quote by Elder LeGrand Richards, A Marvelous Work and a Wonder. He says, quote, "It It will thus be seen that even where the law is not given and understood that through this light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world that all men have the law written in their hearts and that their conscience bear witness of right and wrong for behold the spirit of christ is given to every man that he may know good from evil wherefore i show unto you The way to judge, for everything which inviteth to do good and to persuade it to believe in Christ is sent forth by the power and gift of Christ. Wherefore ye may know with a perfect knowledge it is of God. And that's also so end quote, and then that was part of Moroni 7:16. So it's so true, you know, like that's how we're gonna know if things are good. And when people are not acting right we're going to know that they're not acting right and that they're being hypocrites. And if we're being hypocrites, we're not bringing people to Christ, you know? Okay, so verse 25, 25 of Romans 2. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou, keepest, thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. That makes sense, right? Like if you're going through the steps to become holy... Okay, if you're going to the temple, if you're, you know, at the at that time, it was circumcision. And if you're doing all these things to help you become holy, and you're not, then it's as if you're not even doing those things, right? It's like when I go to the temple, I go to the temple to, to become holy, to become holier to remind me who I am to help me get be nice. But there are times when even Finn tells me that I need to go to the temple. Or sometimes I won't believe my actions and be like, I even went to the temple today, right? And so we need to check ourselves. Yes, we need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, Literally, that's a good phrase right now for this section. Okay, um, then we have therefore, 26th. Hold on. Okay, therefore, if the uncirc- uncircumcision keep the, righteous, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his circumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, by who by the letter and circumcision dost transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is out which... Is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Okay, so the confusion a little bit. Um, basically, the Jews were the ones that had the tradition to be circumcised. Gentiles don't don't necessarily. Uh, need that, I guess, is what they were trying to say. Um, But it's more about the spirit of the law than the letter of the law. But the Jews were all about the letter of the law. Anyway, so that was what they were talking about. Okay, so we're going to pause for now. Romans chapter 3. Okay, here we are. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew or... What profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? So that's question one. God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged but the verse 5 but if our unrighteousness command the righteousness of god what shall we say is god unrighteous who taketh vengeance i speak as a man so this is this this is the second question god forbid for then how shall god judge for the judge the world for if the truth of god hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory why yet am i also judged as a sinner and not rather as we be slanderously reported, uh, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil, that good may come, whose damnation is just. Question three, what then are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That their throat is open. Wait, that their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their their lips. (laughs) lips. whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. This is the state of the natural man that they're, that he's mentioning here. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. So I think, and this is just momentary, I think he's just saying, like, it doesn't matter what we uh, physically do, if we don't have that spiritual transformation within us, then it's not going to help us, right? They had a bunch of physical rituals, the Jewish people um, that they would do, but then it ended up not necessarily even helping them because they were making it worse for themselves and others by not being Christ-like. So that's what we want. We want our actions to show that we are Christians, not the pictures hanging on our walls, not the things that we wear, not the, um, all these things. If we do those things, it's great. But if it doesn't help us act like Christ, then it doesn't matter, right? I think that's what he's trying to say. We need to be converted through the inside and all these outward um, things that we do to help us be like Christ and help us remember, because we do need things to help us remember. I think it's important. We need to have those things in our homes. We need to have uh, reminders. Sometimes we wear our, like a, you know, CTR ring or a temple ring or bracelets. I love to wear the, what would Jesus do bracelets? And he would love first bracelets and all these things. But if none of that stuff's going to help me when it comes time to act right, then it's like I did it for nothing. Right. So, um, probably I should have remembered that I was wearing my, what would Jesus do bracelet when I was talking to the peeps about our car, not having AC and them having not fixed it. Anyways, I might have been a little bit mean because I was speaking Spanish. I should have spoke English because I'm a lot more compassionate that way. Anyways, so back in the day, circumcision was an outward sign of an inward covenant that Jewish people made with God. But instead, many Jewish Christians were putting more importance on just the outward sign rather than actually keeping the covenants of God. So that's what Paul was trying to tell them. Um... And let's see, the, the principles that, or the principle that we can learn from here is that one way Satan will try to deceive us is by convincing us that we can justify our sins. And yeah, I could justify being mean to those peeps because they didn't do something that I asked them to do, but that doesn't matter, right? Like how did Christ treat people? So good when they didn't even deserve it, right? So I love all these questions that, they, that, they, that Paul was asking them to kind of help them reflect inwardly. Okay, we're on Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So you know, like, the law means, like, they know the laws of what not to do, right? And so that's how we will be judged. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So God has a plan to save to save us because we sin, right? Because we're not perfect. And even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the plan works only because of Jesus Christ, right? Because we have faith in Jesus Christ and being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Christ removes our condemnation, right? Because he removes, he, be, he helps us become holy, Okay, um, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to make up for something you have done wrong. So, propitiation means to make, make up for something that you've done wrong. Okay, 26. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what, law, by, by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yay, we establish the law. Okay, so FYI, circumcision these days is done uh, because of cleanliness. Um, so in case you're wondering, if you're a Jew, <laughs> um, but we are, we are technically Gentiles, right? Because we're not Jewish. Okay. Um, And we weren't born over there in Jerusalem. Okay. So what does it mean to be justified? Elder D. Todd Christopherson says in the Enzyme June 2001, Because of the infinite virtue of his great atoning sacrifice, Jesus Christ can satisfy or answer the ends of the law on our behalf. He removes our condemnation without removing the law. We are pardoned and placed in a condition of righteousness with him. We become like him without sin. We are sustained and protected by the law, by justice. We are, in word, justified. End quote. Oh, that's just beautiful. The way that he is able to explain that. So, the principle here, or the doctrine, is that Jesus can justify us. Don't try and justify your sins, right? Just repent of your sins, because the justification will come through Christ. So... He will be the one. So you don't have to be mean. You don't have to be mean, right? Because justification will come through Christ. Okay, we are now in Romans chapter 10. But I wanted to say something about... Let's see, where is it? Whoops, I just stopped my walking. I guess it's time. Um, But I wanted to say something. What was it? Okay, I can't remember which scripture it goes with now. But... um, But I wanted to uh, say something that I said to Aunt Julie yesterday. By the way, Jake is home, and he's safe, and we we have him, and he's just awesome. And it was so good to see him, and I totally cried when Becca gave him a hug, and it was just so moving and awesome. And anyways, it was a little bit sad that Cole was on his mission, but... Zach was able to call him on FaceTime and FaceTime together, so that was super cool. Um, okay, let's see. Um, what was I talking to Aunt Julia about? Oh, so we were talking about the temple and how the Provo Temple, or the old Pro, like, sorry, the old Provo Tabernacle that became the new Provo City Center Temple, was in fact something that was an un- unholy um, unholy thing. Okay. And then it burned. So then something dramatic really happened. Some trauma happened to it. And then the Lord took that opportunity to then make it holy. So it became a temple. Now the new, the old Provo temple that was already standing, um, currently, is awesome amazing and it's doing good work for the lord right because it's the lord's house now we have heard that they are going to remodel it and i was like oh that'll be fun but then somebody told me that they are going to flatten it they're tearing it all down and restarting and i was like what like that just felt so wrong right like i don't even know if i could be there to witness it but i do want to be there to witness it if that makes sense (laughs) Um, I don't know what day it'll happen So who knows if I'll even find out But anyway So The point is Something that's already awesome That the Lord is using Is going to be torn down So that it can Change And become even better than it is now Now I think that's amazing So like if you think about the stages in your life, okay, it kind of reminds me of that. There's going to be certain trials that you experience that will literally burn and tear you down. And only God can make you whole and make up for, the, for that trauma, for that, for that hurt, for, for all of that. And only God can help us to become whole. Jesus Christ can help us to, and be whole to become holy. But then on the other hand, there's going to be things where we choose to be better, and we're going to break ourselves down. We're going to choose to do those hard things. We're going to choose to start over. We're going to choose to become better, even though we feel like we might be awesome already, or like we're already doing the Lord's work. We can see that we can become better, and we are going to tear ourselves down, and rebuild ourselves with the Lord's help to become even better, more holy, and a, a better servant to the Lord. So anyways, I think those two temples are going to be such a awesome example of what we can do in our lives to become more holy. One, we can become more holy because of things that happen to us. And the Lord will help to use that and and it will happen for us, right? We can use it for our good and the Lord will consecrate those afflictions for our good. And then there's going to be those times where we want to be better. We desire to be better and we're going to put ourselves through the hardest things so that we can become better. And I think that's like your mission, you know, something like. Uh, a mission is going to do something like that, but you choose to do that, you know, to yourself and for the Lord. So anyways, I think those two things are, those two temples are going to stand as a witness to me of those things that can happen in our lives. Okay. We are on Romans chapter four says, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found So how did Abraham receive salvation, right? Okay, and then for 2 to 6, we have a, um, or 2 to 5, we have a Joseph Smith translation. So I'm going to read it regular, and then I'll read the translation. It says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is reckoned for righteousness. Okay. That, so Paul uses Abraham as an example to show the Jews that he understood that justification comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So this is the Joseph Smith translation for Romans 4, 2 to 5. And it clarifies things for us. It says, For if Abraham were justified by the law of works, he hath to glory in himself, but not of God. For what saith the scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him who is justified by the law of works is the reward reckoned, not of grace, but of debt. But to him that seeketh Not to be justified by the law of works, but believeth on him who justifieth not the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. So the idea here is that if men could earn their salvation through works, then God owes them salvation. So God is in debt to them. Or as Paul put it, by the law of works is the reward reckoned, not of grace, but of debt. So he is saying, if it is the law of works... Then the reward of salvation bec- comes because of debt. But that will never be. Salvation is a gift. It is not a payment of debt. Without Christ, we would be lost. No matter how perfectly we seek to keep the law, we are saved by Christ. Okay? So it's not through works. And I think I think it's important. And there's another... Uh, There's a talk by Brad Wilcox to look up and it's titled The Grace Talk. It's like super famous grace talk. So go look it up. Um, But also I just have to say that if, if we were to think that the works that we do somehow pay things back we would feel so overwhelmed by how much debt we owe. And I think that sometimes we get into that trap thinking we have to do more and do more. And and because we were so bad and so we're trying to make up for all the bad times that we did, right? And it makes sense in our mind that way because of restitution, right? Because when we do something wrong, we want to make it right. And so we think that that is going to work the same way with God, but it doesn't. Um, He loves the fact that we want to do things because we love him, not because we owe him. And when we do those things, it helps us bring us closer to Christ, not pay off some debt. And so when you're thinking about the callings and the responsibilities and the things that we do um, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, remember that it's supposed to help us feel closer to him when we're being like him, when we're choosing to follow him. It just helps us become closer to him and it helps us become more like him, but it doesn't pay off any debts that we owe because otherwise we would never pay them off. And that would be even more overwhelming. So, okay. Verse 6. Even as David also describeth the, blessed, the blessedness of man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Okay, so Paul quotes King David and he also taught that a man is blessed when he credits justification separately from works. So it really isn't as complicated as it might sound. (laughs) Okay, Um, in verse 9, Cometh the blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision? Okay, so the Jewish Christians felt that circumcision was required for justification. Paul cites Abraham as an example to show that this is... A false belief. Abraham received the promise of God through faith before he was circumcised. Therefore, circumcision cannot be a requirement for all men. And I think that's true, you know. Okay, um, verse eleven. We're still kind of covering it till thirteen. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of faith, which he had, yet being uncircumcised that he might be the father of all them that believe through they be not circumcised or though they be not circumcised that righteousness might be imputed unto them also and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham which he had being yet un- uncircumcised for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, awesome. Okay, so Elder D. Todd Christofferson taught this. He said, justification and sanctification are accomplished by the grace of Christ. Which grace is a gift, of, is a gift to man based on faith? This personal persistence in the path of obedience is sometimes different than achieving perfection and mortality. Perfection is not, as some suppose, a a prerequisite for justification and sanctification. It is just the opposite. Justification being pardoned and sanctification being purified are the prerequisites for perfection. We only become perfect in Christ not independently of him. Thus, what is required of us in order to obtain mercy in the day of judgment is simple diligence. When we stand before the Savior to be judged of him, it will be according to our works and the desires of our hearts. Where we can act, where we have the capacity and the means, we must act if we are to retain a justified and sanctified status. End quote. Oh, I like that. Elder D. Todd Christofferson from Enzyme, June 2001. And then President George Q. Cannon said um, about when someone does not have the law, they cannot transgress the same way that someone who does have the law. So he says, men cannot be held accountable for that which they never knew right? And I think that's going to be based on per person, right? Like, yes, that's why we teach things over and over in the church so that we can learn them and remember them. But maybe we never really knew it, right? That's why everybody's on a different faith journey and their testimonies are at different levels and Everyone comes from different experiences, and you see some people doing things, and you're like, why do they do that, right? And to you, it makes sense, but they, to them, it might not make sense. And sometimes, it just depends on the time of our life and the, the level of conversion that we have achieved up until that point. Okay. Okay. Uh, Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom ye believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things, which be not as though they were, sorry, hold on, there's like, there we go, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God, though unbelief, or through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being full, fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it is it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So his example lights our way, right? Who so and then verse twenty five, who was delivered for our offenses, and was raised again for our justification, so the principle what or the example that they, that Paul was giving was that Abraham had such an example of faith in Christ, and he was given a promise from God that seemed impossible that he and his wife Sarah would miraculously have a child, even though this promise seemed impossible, he staggered not at the promise of God. And Abraham's story was not recorded just to give him honor, but to be an example to us, because we can believe in Christ just as Abraham did. And I have used their story as an example in my life, because with infertility, I can relate so well with those who struggled with infertility in the scriptures and who so desperately wanted children. Okay. Romans chapter five says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So faith in Christ brings peace. And this is why I like that song, peace in Christ. Um, think it's by shauna edwards or something anyways verse two by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of god and not only so but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and so it's basically talking about how our trials bring us closer to christ Right. Here's a quote from Elder Neal A. Maxwell. It says patience permits us to cling to our faith in the Lord when we are tossed about by suffering, as by as if by surf. When the undertow grasps us, we will realize that even as we tumble, we are somehow being carried forward. We are actually being helped, even as we cry for help. One of the functions of the tribulation of the righteous is that tribulation worketh patience. What a vital attribute patience is if tribulation is worth enduring to bring about its development. Oops, I should have read that better. What a vital attribute patience is if tribulation is worth enduring to bring about its development, end quote. Elder Neely Maxwell, October 1980, Enzyme. Oh, that's so good. And it's so true. And remember, there's that talk I think I pointed out before where they said that it was holy space when you wait on the Lord. And I can't specifically find the talk right now, but a talk from Elder Holland says that faith means trusting God in good times and bad, even if that includes some suffering. Until until we see his arm revealed in our behalf, and that one's titled "Waiting on the Lord," in October 2020. It could be in that talk because this was a talk during COVID, and it was so so like comforting and hopeful at that time. And so I think, okay, that. I think that that's the talk oh you know what he says this in in his talk and it's just awesome but they are always answered at the time and in the way an omniscient and eternal compassionate parent should answer them my beloved brothers and sisters Please understand that he who never sleeps nor slumbers cares for the happiness and ultimate exaltation of his children. Above all else that a divine being has to do, he is pure love, gloriously personified and merciful father in his name. So I love I love Elder Holland's talks about waiting on the Lord. I feel like he is the most compassionate and and really knows how to have empathy and show mercy. He's also the one that has said one of my favorite quotes about um, about waiting on the Lord. He said, and this quote has got me through so much waiting, (laughs) especially waiting for Flora. He says, some blessings come soon. Some come late and some don't come until heaven. But for those who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come. End quote. And that's um, General Conference October 1999. Definitely a timely message for myself. Um, I don't necessarily remember him saying it the first time. Okay, but... I do remember that I was 19 at the time, and probably had I listened to that talk, it would have been awesome at the time. I I almost think that I was there, but maybe I wasn't there. So back in the day, uh, we would have to go to the church building or stake building to watch General Conference because it was not live-streamed anywhere. <laughs> so, anyways, it might have been that one or in 2000 when I uh, became active again, I'm pretty sure. Okay, um, here we go, Romans 5, verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for the righteous, for a righteous man, will one die. Yet, peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commandeth His love toward us, in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by His blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. Okay, so we will not be disappointed or ashamed of the hope in God because he will deliver us. Okay, for if we, for verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life joy is a fruit of the atonement and not only so but we also oh yeah here's the joy and not only so but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement wherefore as by one man sin one man being Adam entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned for until the law was. For until the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed when there is no law nevertheless death reigned from adam to moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of adam's transgression who is the figure of him that was to come but not as the offense so also is the free gift for if thou no for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condu- to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Okay. Hold on a second. Make sure. Okay, so we're reading till the very end here. 1721 Z- For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more than much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one of the of one Jesus Christ right? The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, shall shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Woo. He was very eloquent and I did not read that well. <laughs> okay. So he was talking about the doctrine of the fall and how it was essential to God's plan. Um, because when we were without strength or when we were powerless to save ourselves, Jesus died for all of us. So, Paul reasons how rare it is that someone will willingly die for a righteous man, but Christ died for us who are all sinners. Um, in verse 11 is the word atonement, which means at one or reconciling man and God. This is the only use of the word atonement in the King James Version of the New Testament. That's crazy. Of course, the doctrine of the atonement is taught throughout the New Testament, but other words are used, such as Reconciliation, redemption, propitiation. Okay, so Hugh Nibley um, says this about that. teachings, And it's from the teachings of the Book of Mormon. He says, quote, The word atonement is only found once in the New Testament. It's found a number of times in the Old Testament, but only once in the New Testament. And it's not found at all in the Revised Standard Version, the RSV. They don't use atonement at all. The word doesn't even appear in the New Testament. They used they use in, they use instead reconciliation, keeping it quite literal from reconcili reconcilio. Reconciliation means to return and sit down beside somebody again. You return and then you sit down. You sit down by the side of the Lord and you sit down again because you've been there before. It's reconciliation, it's redemption, it's redeeming. This means buying back something that he had before. We weren't just created out of nothing, you see. We are returning to his presence. We've been there before, and the whole thing is a sense of returning to his presence. That's what reconciliation is, which is the equivalent of atonement. Atonement is not a Latin word. It's not a Greek or Hebrew word. Atonement, a good old English word, a theological word, at one mint, being at one with the family, to go out no more, as he says, with all our holy fathers, to go no more out. There's your solid security, your home at last. You're back where you started from, and we hope that you're back with some added credentials, etc. The only passage where atonement is found is in Romans chapter 5, verse 11 in the New Testament. There in the King James translation, you'll find the word is atonement. But now in the Bible, they use only reconciliation, which is a good word. Were, we're reconciled. End quote. Okay, I love that. So much of the Christian world believes that Adam and Eve made a terrible mistake when they partook of the forbidden fruit and then were cast out of the Garden of Eden. But Paul emphasizes the essential relationship between the fall of Adam and the atonement of Jesus Christ. In this chapter, he refers to Adam as one man and also calls Christ one man. For example, by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, or the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ. Notice Paul's language surrounding the fruits of Christ's atonement. He repeatedly uses words like abundance, abound, showing that the power of his atonement far outweighs the negative effects of our sin and the fall. This can provide Great comfort as we consider our fallen state. Okay, we are now on chapter six. Okay, so verse one What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So, should we just sin knowing Christ will cover us? Certainly not. And when we're baptized, we buried the natural man and declared sin to have no life in us anymore. Although, you know, obviously we still make mistakes. So this is the doctrine of the baptismal covenants that change us. And, um... In the True to the Faith book about baptism, it says, immersion is symbolic of the death of a person's sinful life and the rebirth into a spiritual life dedicated to the service of God and his children. It is also symbolic of death and resurrection. End quote. So, his answer is a great reminder for all of us who have been baptized. When we are baptized, we declare to take Jesus' name upon us to keep the commandments and serve the Lord. In essence, we bury the natural or sinful man and are born again a spiritual man. Okay? When I say man, I mean human. That means like everybody. <sighs> Not just man. Okay? All right. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We're almost done here. This is the last of it. We're on the homestretch, people. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that, like as Christ was raised up from the death, from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted or bur- buried together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be, or we shall be also, in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin for he that is dead to sin is where just uh the joseph smith translation comes in for if he that is dead to sin is freed from sin now if we be dead with christ we believe that we shall also live with him Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more; death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once; but in that he lived, he lived unto God. So his death was was to overcome sin, and his resurrection was to be glorified. To be his resurrection was to glorify God. Okay, so 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I think that right there is, is the difference and the excitement and the joy that we can bring to other people to know that, hey, yeah, we can, we can commit sin and we can do all those things that do not help us progress, that, that keep us from God, but that there's hope that when we become baptized when we choose to be part of the family of Jesus Christ, again, that we can become holy, that that our desire and our actions can bring us closer to him. Not that because we have some kind of debt because he forgave us, but because we want to be with him again. And these things that we choose to do just help us glimpse that joy that, we'll, that we will be able to experience when we are with him again so that is the joy that we bring to others that hope in christ that peace that he brings after sin because when we're sinning and it's chaos it's chaos like and it's awful and it's dark and scary but when we're with christ it's not it's full of light and love and hope and joy okay um 12, let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey in, its, in it the lusts thereof. So sin will seek, you, seek to control you. And this is so true. If you've ever been stuck on one thing that you don't like that you do and that it's not serving you, but it's making you keep, from, keep yourself from progressing, you know what that is. And so you know that sin will seek to control you because Satan is there and he's going to continue to control you with that sin that you really like. <sighs> um, yeah, sometimes we call them our favorite sins, huh? Okay, verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of right- unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Through Christ we can be free from the reign of sin. So what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So, yeah. We're, you're either going to be a servant to God or to Satan, and and you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference, okay? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart. That from the do, from wait, <laughs> let's read again. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So I think right there, it just means that sometimes we can be grateful for our sins because they helped us realize that that was not the direction we wanted to go, but we want to go the other way. And that brings us closer to Christ. Sometimes our sins help us with our conversions and and bring us closer to Christ even though we might not want that sin in our lives ever again or ha- or regret those sins that even though they brought us closer to Christ it's like you don't now you really wish you didn't have them because now you know what it's like to have received that forgiveness okay verse 19 I speak after the manner of men because Wait, hold on. Yeah, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, into iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness and to holiness. So he's trying to say like put it behind you, you know. You might have been choosing the wrong, but now choose the right. You know, it it feels like it's that simple, but I know that it's. Uh, I know that we can make it more complicated than that, but it's not. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now we're going to talk about what fruits do does sin bring into our life. So, verse twenty: when, for when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that is so true. That's the end of the chapter. I'm going to read a couple quotes here because they're the best. Okay, this is a quote from Elder David A. Bednar, April 2007 General Conference. The spiritual rebirth described in this verse typically does not occur quickly or at all or all at once. And he's talking about Mosiah chapter five, verse seven, but also these verses. It is an ongoing process, not a single event. Line upon line, precept upon precept, gradually and almost imperceptibly, our motives, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds become aligned with the will of God. This phase of transformation process requires time, persistence, and patience. A cucumber only becomes a pickle through steady, sustained, and complete immersion in salt brine. Significantly, salt is the key ingredient in the recipe, and just as salt is essential in transforming a cucumber into a pickle, so covenants are central to our spiritual rebirth. And after we come out of the waters of baptism, our souls need to be continually, continuously immersed in and saturated with the truth and the light of the Savior's gospel. Sporadic and shallow dipping in the doctrine of Christ and partial participation In his restored church cannot produce the spiritual transformation that enables us to walk in a newness of life. Rather, fidelity to covenants, consistency of commitment, and offering our whole soul unto God are required if we are to receive the blessings of eternity. End quote. Am I right? Like, you totally need to hear that. Okay. And then President Russell M. Nelson, he says, and he talks about... Um, how Paul pleads with the saints to not let the lusts of the mortal body reign over or rule over their spirits. So he says, "The the caution pertains to pornography, which is highly addictive. Scriptural warning is clear. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. In time, addictions enslave both the body and the spirit. Full repentance from addiction is best accomplished in this life while we are still, while we still have a mortal body to help us, end quote. That's powerful. So if you're struggling with this and you know that we've been through all this, you know that it's possible to no longer be subject to that addiction, and the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. And I would suggest you talk to your dad. Because he's been there and he knows what that's like. And and if you need me to talk to you, great. You know, sure, I will talk to you. But it is definitely something that everyone struggles with. Like the the percentage for people who watch pornography or have been exposed to it is like so high that it's almost as if no one has not come in contact with it at some point. And some people are just curious and then they become addicted. And some people um, have seen it by accident and, you know, can become addicted. And some people choose to see it. So we just need to stay completely away from it because it is awful and will not bring you closer to christ and elder bruce r McConkie, he says satan pays his servants with death spiritual death death is per- as pertaining to the things of righteousness christ rewards those who serve him with life spiritual life eternal life in the presence of god enjoying and possessing all that deity himself has end quote so Let's choose that righteousness. Let's choose Jesus Christ in our lives and watch all those sins fall off to the side and we will no longer want those sins in our lives the closer we get to Christ. And you can look up the Clark and Linda podcast and you'll hear firsthand what uh, the experience that, that your father and I had With the addiction to pornography. And um, we're also on YouTube. If you want to see some ugly crying. Because sometimes you haven't seen enough ugly crying from your mom. And you might want to see some more. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for showing up. Love you guys. Stay away from sin. Because righteousness is where it's at. Jesus Christ is where it's at. For all of our hope, healing, joy, everything. That's good. And progress, right? All right. Love you. Bye.